0: I'm going to ask you to follow me purposely this morning because I'll make some transitions uh, that you'll have to be sure and catch as we pass through what I believe I should bring this morning. I want to tell you that I believe this sacred desk is the most important place on planet earth. I was thinking the Lord this week for you, for you, to be honest with you, because of you and the Lord, I have this place to fulfill the call of God upon my life. And I cherish that to the depths of my soul. And I want to thank you for giving me this place and supporting us. And I want to thank the Lord for the call. It took me about nine years before I finally got there. But ladies and gentlemen, I, I don't cherish the fact that I ran from the call. I cherish the fact that I've got to do this for 41 years. And I'm only 32 years old. So, I want to talk to you about Christmas, but I want to talk about... I guess my title is the Christmas Communion, the end of the year and the beginning of all things, meaning future. As you know, we celebrated Christmas, and now we're looking, we're right between that season, between now Christmas and a new year. I have a communion cup here this morning, and uh, these new, my grandpa would say these new, let's see, new fangled contraptions, <laughs> Whatever contraption is. Open it in the bread and then the wine. I just want to tell you something about this. This cup from which we will shortly drink. This bread, this cup symbolizes not just the obedience of Christ to the Father. It stands for even more, follow me for the cosmic purposes of God. I want us to think so far beyond our earthly realm today. This cup stands for the cosmic purposes of God. And Jesus, the Son, participated in God's plan of world redemption. And I want to read that plan to you. I'm going to go back far beyond the time when He stood in nothing and spoke into nothing John chapter 1, verse 1, familiar. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him. And without Him, nothing was made that was made. In Him was life. In the life, was the light of men and verse 5 says and the light shines in the darkness and the darkness did not comprehend it I could, I could go on verse 12 as many as received him to them he gave the right to become children of God to those who believe in his name verse 14 says and the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory and the glory of the only begotten of the father full of truth so we finally, there in verse 14, span eons of time and past from the fact that the, the word existed. He spoke everything into being, and then he came to us in flesh. When we encounter Jesus at the season that we celebrate now, Christmas and New Year's, when we, when we contemplate that and encounter him, We cannot leave, ladies and gentlemen, Jesus as the song says, sweet little Jesus boy in a manger. We celebrate in December. A fresh and a new challenge and a new year is before us. And I believe it always demands a new look at the Christ. Ladies and gentlemen, the baby of December. I want to declare to you this morning, regardless of what the future holds... That baby we celebrated in December is also the Lord of his own coming and he's called the King of Kings and he's the Lord of Lords. In January, he becomes the ransom of the church. For my future and for our eternity, let me tell you, he is the victorious captain of all history because he's planned eternity. This same John who wrote that he was the Word sees him in a revelation that only John saw. And I want you to follow it with me, Revelation 9. John saw him and he said, Now I saw heaven opened and behold a white horse. And he who sat on him was called faithful. Say that with me. Faithful. And true. Say that with me. Say with me faithful and true. Faithful. And true. And in righteousness, he judges and makes war. With all the darkness and the sin covering this planet, aren't you glad he's going to come and take care of it all? Verse 12 His eyes, listen at the description, were like a flame of fire. And on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. He was clothed in a robe dipped in blood. And his name is called the Word of God. The same word that John wrote about in his gospel, he writes in the Revelation. 14, and the armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. Can I just tell you that I believe that Christ is going to return and I'm going to meet him in the clouds? I'm going to the judgment seat of Christ. I'm going to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And I'm that crowd he just mentioned going to be on a white horse following him back to this earth to take care of business once and for all for sin. How many of you want to be in that number? Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword. It represents absolute authority. If you don't believe in absolutes, too bad. His is absolute. Absolute authority, a sword. And with it he should strike the nation's and he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. Nobody can buy him off. Nobody's going to be able to change truth. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written. Say it with me. King of kings and Lord. Say it with me. King of kings. And Lord of Lords. We are right, ladies and gentlemen, to celebrate Christmas, but we must remember that His sweet nativity is not by any means all of the story. The infant Jesus isn't a mere mythology of angels and shepherds and Eastern kings. It's not just a Christmas story. John declares that that baby is now grown into the commander of eternity, and he's the redeemer of the universe. Now, our world tries to scorn our Christ and do everything it can to minimize him. I watched early this morning a ministry on television where a minister was interviewing people on the street, and they were talking about the future and future governments, and a kingdom that will rise. And this minister asked probably 15 or 20, do you believe that earthly kingdoms are prophesied in the Holy Scripture? And I think probably 12 out of 15 of them said, no, I really don't. I want to tell you something. Our world, ladies and gentlemen, has been led away from this eternal book. And I want to tell you, ladies and gentlemen, we had better be the faithful and true also that stay with this word. Amen? So I think a good question we ask the whole universe today, but can I say especially planet Earth. How big is God? How big is our God? And when I say the word big, I'm not necessarily talking about in some kind of physical measurement or size. I'm talking about how, how powerful, how omniscient, how omnipresent, how massive, how indescribable is the God we serve. I read a science fiction author and a scientist named Isaac Asimov. He said this. Consider this if you take the sun of our solar system and shrink it down to a one-foot ball of fire, one foot in diameter, then you would reduce our solar system to what he called minute proportions with a one-foot diameter sun. Mercury, which is, of course, sun's nearest planet orbiting it, he declared that Mercury would be less than a half inch across. If that one foot sun were here at this pulpit, then Mercury, the closest planet, would be in its orbit, would eclipse. I was thinking about the measurement. It would eclipse this sanctuary about 10, 11 rows back. Venus would be about an inch in diameter and travel its orbit 78 feet from this center. Earth would be just a little over an inch. And Jupiter would travel three blocks away in its orbit. So you get the picture. I read years ago, and I hope this is right, I've never been able to find where I read it. I read it in a science magazine, but back then it's been quite a few years ago. But if this is corrected, it's mind-boggling. Our solar system, the solar system you and I know, where the, the, we, the planets from which Earth is part of it that orbit around our sun, whatever size that is, and I believe if my math is correct, it's 93 million miles just to the moon. This is a large orbit, ladies and gentlemen. This is a large planet. They tell us, if I read it correctly, and you can find it and help me if you can, but they said just in the bowl of Ursa Major, which is the Big Dipper, just in the bowl of the Big Dipper, there are over one million orbits the size of our orbit. Then try to fathom the vastness and all the new planets that we have been able to manage to see in the last several decades. So ladies and gentlemen, when we start contemplating what it means in terms of God's size, I was thinking this week, and it... It did something inside my spirit. We have have to be absolutely amazed that this marble-sized planet called Earth could have ever captured the loving attention of a God so great. Our planet's so minuscule. And yet seven plus billion people and he's mindful of you and you. Leo Giglio did a great dissertation several years ago, and he said something like this. If we were to try to measure one of those great big planets, it would take, if Earth were the size of a golf ball, and I'm sorry, I don't remember the name of the planet, but he made this statement, I've never forgotten it, this new planet that We've discovered in the last 10 years and earth were the size of a golf ball. He said in order to equal the size of the new planet we've discovered the state of Texas would have to be stacked over two feet tall of golf balls. Try to wrap your mind around the vastness of this kind of creation. I just want to say We ought to fall on our face and say, what a a magnanimous God. So let's talk about the God in the universe. Our society and, and the earth, our people today, they don't understand. I was looking this week at some history, and in the early days of the space program, I just want to share with you that this God that looked at such vastness. And I want to declare to you today, whether this world recognizes him or not, we serve a big God who is mindful of fallen humanity. So much so, he not only knows about us, the reason we celebrate Christmas is because he came to a little, small, obscure town in a manger. It was God's plan to save us. My wife's been, I've been having some foot trouble for about three years, and standings are real difficult with nerves in my feet, and my wife keeps saying, I'm I'm sure for my sake, I want you to go to the doctor and get a handicap parking deal. (laughs) And I'm sure she wants that for me. I'm convinced of it. (laughs) I know I owe you, I'm good. Can you you fathom? She said that to me the other day, and I said, you know what? She didn't know I was thinking about this message the last four or five days. I said, you know what? If Jesus can leave the glory and the splendor of heaven and come to a manger, I can walk the parking lot. And that principle is very little known in our world today. Let me tell you, God loves you. Let's look, at, let's look at him in this universe. In the early days of the space program, a rather arrogant Soviet cosmonaut, his name was Yuri Gagarin. That's just part of his name. <laughs> he came back from orbiting one of his orbital flights shouting, to the cameras and the media. Some of you like me were alive back then. It was, I think it was 61. I was a little boy. And he said, I flew. I flew. And he was talked about the man who fell from the sky and fell to the earth. And there was a lot of things said, a lot of quotes. Opinions abound about additional quotes that he made, things he saw. One writer said, he said, I'm an eagle. I'm an eagle. It's Many other writers refuse that he ever said that. But while I was studying that, one that is very controversial, and I, I just want to remind you, those of you that were alive back in that time, on one occasion, he spoke, and he was recorded saying, I looked and I looked and I looked, but I didn't see God. Some say that the then premier Nikita Khrushchev, which I remember very well as a young man, they say that came from him as he quoted Gagarin in a speech. And I read where some speculate that Mr. Khrushchev approached Gagarin and said, Did you see God? And Gagarin said, Yes, I did. And Khrushchev said, don't tell anybody. Later on, the Russian Orthodox priest, which Gagarin worshipped at, came to him and said, son, tell me, did you see God? And Gagarin said, no. And the priest said, don't tell anybody. I don't know if all those things happen. I know there's a lot of writing about it. I will tell you this, how refreshing it must have been, then some seven years later, that on Christmas Eve in 1968, when the crew of Apollo 8 began to circle the moon, they had not landed on the moon yet, but they had made its lunar orbit. And the pilot then was William Anders, read to everyone across this planet viewing by television these words, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. I remember as a teenage boy the impact that someone as important as an astronaut would recognize the beauty of God's creation and the vastness of this universe. But listen, he read these words in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. I wrote this down. What a great statement to say that this world is not here by accident. It came into existence by God's command. And he purposed it and he shaped it by his omnipotence. I love to say this. You've heard me say it. He stood in nothing, spoke into nothing. And everything he spoke came into being. I love one minister... Years ago I read it where he said God hung the earth in nothing and told it to stay there. It's been there ever since. John saw it all without ever leaving this planet and getting the bird's eye view of a cosmonaut or an astronaut. In the beginning was the word and all things were made by him. That's the God I serve in the universe. Thirdly, Not only the vastness of God and the universe, but thirdly, Jesus. Consider the names that we read a while ago when John saw him in Revelation. He said he was named Faithful and True. Faithful, which means this. Please let this sink into your spirit. John saw him in the Revelation returning with the redeemed saints. To come and rule this planet for a thousand years. He's going to put it all in an even balance one day, ladies and gentlemen. How many ever glad he's coming to straighten this up? When his word, name faithful, it means simply this between Jesus and the Father, there has never been a point ever of contention. Whatever God asked of Jesus, Jesus did it. They were so of one mind and so of one accord that Jesus said himself in John fourteen nine, He who has seen me has seen the Father. Now we know what God looks like. Can I be as facetious to say we know a shoe size? We know what God looks like. Ladies and gentlemen, I serve a Christ whose name is faithful, and he is forever the same. Secondly, it said his name is true. I looked this up in the Greek and I tried in every way in the world. I want you to know I tried to exhaust it in every, with a lexicon, everything I could find. I want you to know this. Let me tell you what it means. He's faithful. He's never one time had one contention with God. When he said he is true, it means undiluted. All this world's darkness when he came as a baby and the 33 years that he lived here and all the sacrifices, I just rejoice in the fact that he's still true. What does that mean, pastor? It means this. None of this world's darkness ever ever diminished him at all. Everything that Jesus said was absolutely the way it was. The way he lived was the way every life should be lived. Nothing else, ladies and gentlemen, ever proceeded from his pure heart. He was faithful, and he was true. But I want to tell you as important that is, even more than this, he was the founder of a new order. It's called the Order of the Saving Blood. Yes, he's coming on a white horse. He will conquer the foes of this sin-cursed planet. And he will judge the nations with a rod of iron. And on his vestment, and his thigh, is a double name. Faithful and true King and Lord. And I want to tell you, I I, I think the best moment of my life was the day that I bowed to him. I was only five years old in a church, had old slat pews and slat one before altars, and I don't know what was always going on, but I knew something was turning over inside my spirit, and as a five-year-old boy, I bowed to this vastness of a God who cannot be described. It was said that Queen Victoria once went to hear the performance of Messiah, Handel's Messiah. It was agreed ahead of time that because she was queen and because it was so difficult to stand with her royal regalia, agreed ahead of time that she did not need not honor the custom of standing at the singing of the hallelujah chorus. She's queen. Her regalia is massive. You don't have to do the custom of standing. But listen. Even as the great chorus begin to swell. You've heard it. For the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. King of kings. Lord of lords. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Queen Victoria was so overwhelmed she not only stood she took the crown of England from her head in humility and took it off in symbolic bow to Christ and bowed with the throne with the crown symbolically to Jesus because he's the faithful and the true. Our world despises him Our world wants no restrictions, no restraints. I'll do whatever I want to do, any way I want to. I'll declare everything about my life and be God of my own life. And it's true, God has given us the right to choose our own life. Ladies and gentlemen, God has a right to our lives. So what does this mean for us, Pastor? Quickly. What does it mean for us to call Jesus faithful and true? Two things, and I'll be through. First of all, to call him faithful means this. As obedience and integrity were the substance of his soul, it must also be the substance of our soul. It was obedience and integrity. We hail grace today, and we've done such damage to it. I want to tell you something. Grace is grace but it requires obedience. Secondly what does it mean to call Jesus Lord? It is to remember that all he suffered to purchase our redemption. That means he's Lord. Young people Mom and dad, grandparents, anything God wants to have of you, you dare not call unreasonable. Jesus has a right to all of our life and nothing he asks of us is unreasonable. The scripture says he bought us. He paid a price for us. Ladies and gentlemen, we are no longer our own. We belong to the Redeemer. He paid the full price. So let me say it like this. No burden is too heavy to carry in his service. It may not be pleasurable. It may not be fun. But I want to tell you, if God calls you to do it, he'll give you the strength to do it. And here's the neat thing. He'll reward you for eternity for it. But we're in a world and a society who says we don't care what the book says. We don't care what the Savior says. We don't care about that. We just want to be lords of our lives. We want to be our own gods. We'll decide our life. We'll decide everything about it. And that message has gone from our schools and gone from our governments and political upheavals all across this world Till, ladies and gentlemen, probably most of this world will not accept this word. I thought this was interesting. I don't want you to think it negative. I just want you to look at the whole world today and listen to this. An inscription in the Cathedral of Lübeck, Germany. On the back of the door, entry has these words inscribed. It says this You call me master and obey me not. You call me light and see me not. You call me way and walk me not. You call me life and desire me not. You call me wise and follow me not. You call me fair and love me not. You call me rich and ask me not. You call me eternal and seek me not you call me gracious and trust me not you call me noble and serve me not you call me mighty and honor me not you call me just and fear me not if I condemn you blame me not Ladies and gentlemen, God will not do the condemning. We condemn our own selves by not following His required word. And He has a right to require it. So we lift the cup. And we lift the cup this hour. Take your cup. Let me put it like this. He was broken, we eat. He was broken, we eat. He bled, we drink. He died, we live. No wonder the Apostle Paul said in service to God, do all things without murmuring. We weren't the ones who bled. We weren't the ones who died. In the beginning was the Word. I read an author this week that said these. I don't know his name. He said this. All heaven owned was mortgage to build a loaf and a cup and call you to remembrance. It was all for you. In the beginning was the Word, and He had you and me in mind. And I think we ought to dedicate ourselves to make every sacrifice He made worth it in eternity. How many of you agree? Would you stand with me? The Lord Jesus, in the same night, and when He was betrayed, took bread. And when He had given thanks, He broke it and said, Take, eat. This is my body. In the long, long plan from eternity past till eternity future, it was broken for you. Would we be out of order to say he was broken for me? Would you say that with me? He was broken for me. This too, in remembrance of me. Let's take the bread. After the same manner also he took the cup when he had sup, saying, This cup is the New Testament, and here's the new order. It's no longer the blood of brute beasts on Jewish soil. For they could not redeem us. But by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. A New Testament in my blood. Let's do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's protect the cup. Here's our message. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup. You do show forth the Lord's death till he come. Pastor, what are you saying? Let me say it like this. Like Victoria of old, let us live our lives with bowed heads in the sense of worship to Him. Let us lift a crown that was never ours to begin with. And let us hold the cup He gave us on the night He left Gethsemane with a new resolve. Because for us poor sinners... The commander of the cross and the returning king who is faithful and true has promised he will come and he will come.